even though I'm the one that made that bumper video, I am really glad that this is the last week that we were using it. It gives me anxiety every week when that kicks off and the noise, I'm like, ah! Right, so um, something new next week. Hopefully less anxiety inducing. Um, it is our last week in the season of Epiphany or season after Epiphany, which means it's our last week in the Listen uh, sermon series. Um, as I often have a habit of doing, I want you to begin this, this time together uh, using your imagination. So this morning, uh, I want you to imagine that you are uh, guests at a, the fanciest wedding you've ever attended. Right? So instead of me up here, it's bride and groom, dress, I mean, the place is, is immaculate. Maybe it's not even this place. Maybe it's some fancy, you know, cathedral type thing, and there's ornate decorations all over. But it's this great, amazing wedding. But more important than the decorations is, you know, the, it's this beautiful service, and then they go for a reception, and there's food, and, the, and there's just a great time Right? And there's, there's the families getting to spend time together, the bride and groom and the bridal party, just having a wonderful time. And it, it goes on into the evening, right? You're imagining this just wonderful marriage celebration, this wedding, right? Are you imagining with me? Right? It's just this great day. And then the music stops. The guests have mostly all gone home. The bride and groom are exhausted from a, a long day, a busy day, a stressful day of juggling all the responsibilities of family and all the details of that day. And as the place has gone quiet and um, mostly empty, the bride um, tracks down the groom in the, in, in the space there and says, wow, that was, this was really great. Um, this was an amazing day. Um, I'm going to head back to my house now. Um, Maybe I'll see you next week. Um, although next week's kind of busy, so it might be two weeks before I get to touch base with you again. Um, but our, our marriage is important, so I wouldn't want too many weeks to go by without getting together again. That would just seem silly. Um, and so we have this marriage celebration, this wonderful moment, but in this, this moment with the bride and the groom are going to go the separate ways. And the bride is saying, oh, you know, I'll see you in a week or two. It just, that's not how it works, right? You're like, you're sitting there going, what kind of story is this? Well, that's because we kind of intuitively know and we have experienced firsthand or vicariously through other people um, that the best relationships are the ones where you can get to know someone for who they are, where you spend time with them. It seems silly to say, oh, they have this marriage and this, this great day and then, and then they go and kind of go their separate ways. But the, the, the best relationships, the best marriage, the best whatever type of relationship, family relationship, are the ones where you take time together, spending time getting to know each other, uh, a commitment to focus on that relationship even when it's hard. Like those are the vows during a, uh, a marriage ceremony, right? When things get hard or when things are easy, when we have a lot of money or when we have no money or when everybody's healthy, when everybody's sick, whatever it is, there's this commitment. And so this idea of, oh, going through this marriage process, going through this wedding day, and then going your separate ways to basically go back to your life the way that it was before this day, seems really foreign or, or just awkward. Like, you, it, it, things don't function this way. Um, 
So keep that in, in mind, that, that bridegroom, hey, we had a great wedding, but now we're going to go back to life as it was before. Um, today is the last Sunday in Epiphany and our Listen sermon series. And as we conclude this series, we're going to look at a scripture. Um, for the past several weeks, we've been in 1 Corinthians, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that was having all types of problems that he was trying to address. But this week, we're back in the Gospel of Matthew and it's a story about Jesus. It's a really unique story about Jesus and some of his followers. Um, and because it is kind of a unique story, I'm going to take some time to explain maybe some nuance. If you've been around the church, you might be familiar with this, this scripture passage, but I'll take a little bit of time just kind of breaking it down and then trying to get to what, what does this mean for us today. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9 uh, it'll be on the screen, or if you want to follow along in your Bible or on your device, if that's the way you do it, go for it. Uh, Matthew 17, 1 through 9 says that six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about this, the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Um, pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would gather our minds so that they may be one with you. Open our ears that we may hear your word. Soften our hearts that we may receive your wisdom. Speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. Like I said, this is a really unique story. There's a lot of interesting things there. I mean, you can just kind of read through it and gloss over it and kind of move on to the next thing if you want to. But there's some things that stick out here that are worth taking a little bit deeper look at. Um, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain by themselves, but they go up a mountain, um, which is uh, kind of a unique practice at this moment. We don't have a whole lot of mountaintop experiences in the gospel. Uh, Jesus was transfigured, it says. Uh, transfigured meaning made more beautiful or to be elevated. The scripture says that his face was bright like the sun. And then out of nowhere, Moses and Elijah, and if you don't know, Moses at this point had been dead for like 2,000 years. And Elijah was an Old Testament prophet that had been dead for a long time as well. These, these Old Testament leaders and prophets showed up on this mountain with Jesus, and they were having a conversation. This is uh, an abnormal type of event to say the least. 
And then if that wasn't kind of weird enough, these three disciples, these followers of Jesus that were up on the mountain following Jesus, seeing Moses and Elijah, then they heard the voice of God from the heavens saying, this is my son. And if you have been following along with us for a while, um, this story, this, this is my son language, will probably sound familiar to the baptism of Jesus back at the beginning of his ministry where he was baptized and as he came out of the water, remember the spirit descended like a dove and the voice of God from heaven said, this is my son. And so after this, this voice of God spoke, then Moses and Elijah were gone. doesn't say where they went, they were just gone. And then maybe one of the weirdest elements for me uh, was that Jesus said not to tell anyone. In this day and age, we'd have, you know, pictures for Instagram and we'd be tweeting about it and all that. It'd be on social media instantly. But Jesus says, let's, let's not talk about this right now, right? And so there's some context that we need to understand to un- really unpack what's going on here. Mountains aren't just mountains in the Bible. Um, when they talk about mountains, there's significance there. Um, many of the stories where they go up the mountain, it's where you meet God. You go up a mountain to meet God. And God makes it possible in those moments when you're on a mountain to meet God. So, for example, we've already mentioned Moses, but let's, let's bring him back. So, in the Old Testament, you're probably familiar, we're getting close to Easter time, right? So, the, the Ten Commandments story, the Exodus story, right? You got Charlton Heston climbing the mountain, you know, all that whole thing, right? The Ten Commandments, right? And so Moses goes up this mountain and receives the Ten Commandments. The Ten Words is the literal translation of that. So he wasn't necessarily giving him, like, rules. He was giving him instructions on how to live now that they were God's people. Right? Because for the, the, the people that had been in Egypt that were set free had been living and shaped by a culture in Egypt that had them working seven days a week, that had them worshiping, or trying to make them worship other gods, teaching them different rules about how to live, shaping them to be Egyptian, not Israelites, not people of God. And so the first thing that God does when he gets them out of Egypt is he gives them these teachings that reveal who he is as a God. So while it not only says, you know, don't do this or do that, it's revealing God's character. Laws about Fidelity and trust and care and how to live in community. Right. So they went up the mountain and they received this word, these words that reveal the type of God that God is, Yahweh is. He's not the Egyptian gods, he's somebody different. Another story also in the Old Testament, you have Elijah who, who goes up, he's on the mountain this is a, a fun Sunday school story. I remember this story as a kid. There's a great wind that goes by the prophet. And the Bible says, but God was not in this great, terrible wind. And then this, this earthquake shook the ground, and it was terrifying. And God was not in this earthquake. And then this great fire showed up. Yet God was not in this fire. And then there was this small voice that revealed God to Elijah. 
Not everyone could go up the mountain. If you look back through the Old Testament and read the stories over and over again, it's not everyone going up the mountain. It's the chosen leaders. It's the anointed ones. The, the ones that have been identified and called for specific purpose. They were the ones that were to go up the mountain or the priests that would go up the mountain to engage with God. There's actually a, a moment in time where I, I believe it's Moses says, oh, for, for everyone to be able to come up this mountain. His heart's desire was that everybody could know God the way that he knew God, to interact with God the way that he did. And so that's kind of the context for this. In Matthew 17, Jesus takes three of his followers, not all of his followers, but just three, up the mountain. And they see Jesus transfigured, and they hear this voice of God. And because they followed Jesus... Because Jesus invited them to go, they got to see Jesus in a way that other people didn't. I mean, up until this point in the story, Jesus was a pretty amazing guy. If you go through the gospel story, if you went through Matthew's account or any of the other gospels prior to this, he's healing people, he's feeding people, he's teaching about God, he's teaching about the kingdom, he's telling great stories, he's confronting religious leaders that are, are causing problems, he's He's taking care of sick people. He's, he's doing all these amazing things. But the three on the mountain got to see Jesus in a way that nobody else saw Jesus. They saw him transfigured. They saw him in conversation with Moses and Elijah, with these prophets from long ago. They got to hear a voice of God coming from the heavens. Not everybody got to hear that voice. It only spoke on that mountain so Jesus invites these three disciples up on the mountain and these followers get to know God in a way that most people prior could never imagine. And that's what Epiphany is about. We, I've been saying, though, this is our, we're in the season of Epiphany. It's, epiphany is another word for like revealed or light shines or that which has been in the darkness has been illuminated. That's what this season in the life of the church is about. It's not just learning info about Jesus, which is, which is always good to know things about the scriptures or know things about Jesus, but it's getting to know God, to really know God. And so this season of Epiphany, this, this transfigured Jesus, this, this intimate encounter on the mountaintop should, should challenge our assumptions about who God is. It will challenge what we are comfortable with, the disciples in the story collapsed to the ground out of fear when they heard the voice. One of the things that revealed that God is bigger than us and it's bigger than we can imagine. God doesn't fit into a box or an ideology. And so one of the things that we believe as Christians is that through Jesus, we get the most perfect picture of God possible. Right? Jesus is God in the physical world, God revealed, God present, God incarnate, in the flesh. And so in Jesus, when we look at Jesus, we are getting the most perfect picture of God that we can get. But even at this point in the story, everything that's happened so far with Jesus doing these miracles and all the things that he's done, the teachings and the miracles, even at this point, the picture of God isn't complete yet. And so that's why he tells his disciples, his followers, don't say anything until after the resurrection. 
Which, again, like, like I said before, this is really weird to me because it seems like the mission of the church is to tell people about what, what Jesus is up to, to share our experience with Jesus to the world. And so it seems counterintuitive to me to be like, oh, let's keep that a secret. But we see Jesus do that often in the Gospels. And here's another case of it where they just had this amazing mountaintop experience, this transfiguration. And Jesus says, no, don't tell anybody yet. Don't say anything until after the resurrection. Because you still don't have the full picture. So don't go telling the wrong story about Jesus and God. Because Jesus wasn't just another one of the prophets like Moses and Elijah. Don't get the wrong idea about who this Jesus is until you've seen the cross. Until you've seen the empty tomb. Then you can tell the story. But God isn't revealed yet the way that you need to see him. But the truth is that in Jesus and through Jesus, God is made known. Not just to a select few, but to the world. We talk about it uh, a lot. We might even take it for granted that we can have access, that we can know God, the God, the creator of the universe, the God who spoke all things into existence. We can know that God through Jesus. He says, if you've, Jesus says this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen this, this kind of peasant guy from Nazareth wandering around the Galilean wilderness, you've seen the creator of all. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he says. You can't come to the Father except through me, he says. That's not that Jesus is a gatekeeper. It's not like he's the, the bouncer at the club saying, oh, you can't get in unless I let you in. He's saying it's in me and through me that you see who God is and you're able to access that. If you want to know who God is, you do so through a relationship with Jesus. One of the most amazing things about Jesus is that he does more than just forgive our sins. But he provides us the way to know God as part of a deep and life-giving relationship. Right? So forgiveness of sins is critically important. There is no gospel outside of it. Don't, don't hear me this morning saying, oh, forgiveness of sin is, isn't important. I'm not saying that. But Jesus does more than forgive our sins. He teaches us, he provides us a way to know God personally. To be in relationship with God. Because of Jesus, we're able to draw near to God in a way that the heroes of the Old Testament story could only be jealous of. You have access to God. We have access to God in a way that the heroes of our Old Testament stories would be envious of. Because we have the ability to see Jesus. They wanted desperately, these Old Testament characters, they, they wanted desperately to know God. There was always barriers and limitations and distortions and confusion about who God was and what God was up to. But with Jesus, God is made knowable. And so all of that leads us into the truth that I want us to grab a hold of today. And we should have a, a slide, and this is... This is the root. If you don't if you forget everything else I've said today, remember this, this sentence, this idea. And that's there's a huge difference between a life shaped by seeking 
to get things from God and a life shaped by seeking to know God. I'll say it again. There is a huge difference between a life shaped by seeking to get things from God and a life shaped by seeking to know God. Right? You can just leave that up. I've, I've got it popping in the slides a few more times, but you can just leave that up there. Um, during the time that Jesus walked the earth, you know, the traditional stories that he lived 30, 33 years, something like that. But during the time that he walked the earth, he met a lot of people. There were people in the synagogues where he worshipped and where he studied. People in his village where he grew up. There were people who heard about the miracles he, were, he was performing and wanted to see for themselves what was going on. People who were seeking a miracle for themselves. They sought him out seeking healing for themselves or their loved ones. There are people who wanted to hear what Jesus was going to do for them. People who were given bread and fish in a miraculous way, you know, multiplying out and feeding thousands of people with just a small amount of food. There was other people who were threatened by Jesus. They wanted him removed from the scene. There's people who shared meals with Jesus. He sat at their table and talked about life and God and the scriptures. A lot of people met Jesus when he walked the earth. Many of these people were excited about what he was teaching, what he was doing. They followed him everywhere. Anytime you read the gospel, there's always the crowd. Jesus is always followed by a crowd. There's a lot of people that were really interested and what Jesus was up to. But of the thousands of people that Jesus connected with, had contact with, talked with, interacted with, there's only three that were on the mountain to see him transfigured. Talking with Moses and Elijah and hearing the voice of God. God is making himself known through Jesus, and yet many who met Jesus only get a glimpse of God. And this isn't to condemn or judge. This may, it, it may have sounded harsh as I was, as I was describing that. That's not what I'm, I'm getting at. They, they wanted to know God, but they, they only interacted with a part of Jesus. They only got a glimpse of God. They didn't walk with Jesus. They got what they wanted and were content. Some were happy to get some bread and some fish. Some were happy to have their physical body healed. Some were happy for the teachings that Jesus provided. Some heard the teachings and walked away and said, yeah, that's not what we're about. And they left. There were some of these people that that met Jesus and they were only concerned about what they were going to get from God or what their status with God was. And again, the, the idea for this week is there's a huge difference between a life shaped by seeking to get things from God and a life shaped by seeking to know God. And so the question for us today is whether we want to be the person that met Jesus that one time in that one place Or do we want to be someone who has a deeply personal relationship with Jesus in such a way that we can be on the mountain and see Jesus 
fully revealed as the Son of God who he is? Do we want to follow Jesus so closely that we are with him on the mountain and see him for who he is? Believe it or not, not everyone gets excited about having the opportunity to personally know God. This Father, creator of heavens and earth, some people will hear the message that you can know him and that he can know you, and it doesn't excite them. It doesn't stir their spirit. They aren't met with wonder and awe and curiosity. Some people are rather focused on what's best what they can get from God. Like I, I, we've talked frequently about kind of the prosperity gospel that kind of moves things into a materialistic view of our faith. Some people ask the question, what's the best thing I can get from God without doing too much work? Without being too churchy or too Christian? Um, it's funny to see as, as a pastor, as you, you run across things online, whether it be you know, search results on Google or blog posts or just questions that people have, you know, there's often a lot of questions. They're like, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? I mean, can, can I get the things from God without going to church? How often do I have to go? Does, does checking in online count? Like these, these are the type of questions like, can I get all the benefits... Like, what's the, the minimum that I have to do? Do I have to pray to be a Christian? Do I have to read a, the Bible to be a Christian? Do I have to do all the things that Jesus teaches me to do to be a Christian? Or the, neg- the flip side of that, uh, can I still be a Christian and, and then fill in the blank, whatever. And, and from my perspective, those types of questions, I, and if you ask those questions, I'm not trying to judge or condemn, but I want you to hear my heart this morning. In a lot of ways, I hear that or see that as the couple who got married and then only interacted with each other on occasion. That imaginary story I had us to, to begin with today, the, the bride who says, oh, this was fun. I really had a great experience with you at that place, but I'm going to go back to my life the way that it was before. I mean, how it, it change the, the, the questions to, to being about spouse or marriage and it sounds awful how often do I have to talk to my spouse to stay married <laughs> not quite the attitude that your spouse really wants to hear like I mean, if you don't believe me try it after service today go say how often do I need to talk to you for you not to be mad at me <laughs> no don't ask that question um, how much effort do I have to put into this marriage to be enough what's the bare minimum I got to do to to get by how much time do I have to spend with them in order for it still to be considered a marriage like what's the bare minimum I could do to, to, to get the benefits of this the example at the start of this sermon was a bride only wanting to see her husband for an hour or so a week or every other week it was meant to show us how ridiculous it, it is for Christians or for the church to only want to do the minimum in a relationship with God when we now have access and an invitation to know God in a personal way. And again, so that brings us back to the message on the screen. There's a huge difference between a life shaped by seeking to get things from God and a life shaped from seeking to know God. 
And I want, us to, I want that to, to sit heavy on us this morning. I, I, I know this might be uncomfortable or feel awkward, but I want us to take inventory for ourselves this morning. Am I a Christian because I want what God has to offer? Or am I a Christian because through Jesus I get to know and have relationship with this God? With, and all those benefits come. I mean, Jesus says it this way. He says, seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added. Right? That was his response. He said, people worry about what they're going to wear and what they're going to eat. What I'm going to do tomorrow, the problems of the next day. And he says, seek first the kingdom. Seek first God and everything else will take care of itself. And so the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning is, do we seek to know God? Do we want to understand? A, a few weeks ago, we talked about the mind of Christ being the thing that allows us to see the world through God's eyes. Do we desire that? Do we want to know God in such a way that we start becoming more like Jesus, more like God? Do we seek to know him, or do we want something from him? To put it more bluntly, do we want a relationship or a transaction? A relationship, we spend time with someone, we get to know them, we listen, we talk, we grow together, and we learn more about them. Jessica and I have been married 19 years, and at this point, I know her a little bit better than I did when we first got married. 20 years in October, which is insane. It makes us sound old. Um, because that's how relationships work, though, right? Like, after 19 or 20 years together, you should know that person better than you did when you started. Transactions are about what do I have to do in order to get what I want or, I, or what I need. I have been buying books from Amazon for about 10 years now. I don't have an intimate relationship with the Amazon Prime, right? Like, I don't... I, I'm not any closer to them. That's a transaction. Many of us were introduced to Jesus through an invitation to get forgiveness, and it's a great invitation. And while forgiveness is so important, there's obviously no gospel without it. God has so much more for us in a relationship with him. God gives us forgiveness so that we can be in relationship. Pastor Will said as he began his prayer this morning, he talked about those who come to church out of obligation or duty, and I, I echo his sentiment, like, we celebrate that. There's people that are committed to the church and committed to God, and what that means to them is that they go to church every Sunday, and often, if there's that level of commitment, that means that they, they're putting money in the offering plate and supporting the ministries of the church, and they're being faithful because it's their duty, it's their obligation. But what I'm wanting to express this morning is that you have the opportunity to know God in a deeper way than that. Oh, I have to do this. Commit to being an active participant in your relationship with Jesus. That's the invitation for us today. Commit to being an active participant in your relationship with Jesus. I want for you to know God. 
I, as, as your pastor, there's, there's nothing more than I want for you to have a relationship that shapes the way that your, your life is experienced, the way that you live, not in terms of a, a dictation like God says you have to do that or you can't do that, but I want you to be able to receive the blessings, the peace, the joy that comes from knowing God and knowing God through Jesus. There's a lot of views of God that aren't, that are just kind of floating around out there that aren't shaped by the revelation of God through Jesus. And I, I want you to experience God through Jesus. And so what I'm going to invite you to do, like I said, this, this is, might come across as a, a, a maybe a little bit critical. I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I don't know how it's coming across. My goal is not to be, to be negative here this morning. It, it, my pastor's heart breaks for those who, who have learned the language of faith, who have maybe prayed a prayer at one point in their life, but don't have the, the experience of God in their lives in every single day. That, that maybe got married to God some years ago, but then went back to the, the life and aren't benefiting, aren't experiencing that marriage with God. And so the invitation today is not to be that bride that says, I'm going to go back to my place, I'll see you in a week or two. But to commit, to, to choose to be an active participant in the relationship that you have with Jesus. And so today, I'm, I'm asking you to take inventory of how you participate in your relationship with God. Uh, around here lately, I've been saying a lot, uh, love God, love others, serve the world. It's kind of the I don't want to call it a vision statement or a mission statement, but it's kind of our framework that gives us some structure. May your love for God be expressed through acts of worship. May your love for others be expressed through acts of Christian fellowship. And may your service to the world be expressed through serving others in the church and in community. How do I have a relationship with Jesus? How do I have a relationship with God? What does that look like? Well, for us at First Church, it comes through worship, it comes through connection and Christian fellowship, and it comes through service. And so I want you to take inventory. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a statement. <clears throat> I'm going to pause for just a few seconds to let you reflect. If you want to take a posture of prayer, you can, or if you just want to think, or if you want to write something down, that's fine too. I'm not going to you know, sit there for a long time, but I'm going to read three statements. Um, and after each one, I'll just take a little bit of a pause for you to respond. Um, <clears throat> in the past seven days, I, meaning you, the past seven days, I worshipped by, fill in the blank. In the past seven days, I worshipped by, fill in the blank. And yes, this counts. You can, I came to church this morning. I worshiped in community this morning. Okay. That's why we do this. The next statement, and you can probably pick out a pattern here. I'm not very creative. In the past seven days, I connected in Christian fellowship by fill in the blank.
In the past seven days, I connected in community with Christians by fill in the blank. And in the past seven days, my faith has allowed me or caused me to serve by fill in the blank. In the past seven days, I have served the world by. And if you're having trouble answering those, those questions, um, and you're like, man, I, I, I didn't ever think of it this way. I haven't been that intentional about answering those questions. Or, or maybe I just thought coming to church on Sunday would check all my boxes. Um, I got three more statements for you. And this one... Uh, you don't need to answer right now, but these are ones I want you to answer throughout the week. Ready? In the next seven days, I'm going to worship by. In the next seven days, I'm going to connect in Christian fellowship, in Christian community, by. And in the next seven days, I'm going to serve others by the reason for these these questions is because like I said I want you more than anything to experience life with Jesus and I believe this is a little bit oversimplified but it does a pretty good job of getting us where we, where I want us to go that through worship of God through Christian fellowship and through service of others we can do a pretty good job of experiencing God's presence with us we can understand the relationship we're in. Pastor Hannah mentioned um, when she was uh, speaking earlier about the, the Asbury revival. I don't know if many of you have seen that. It's kind of become kind of this viral thing lately. But there's a, a college and seminary in Kentucky, and they had a chapel service for their students that started. And when the service was over, they had kind of an invitation, all time of repentance and prayer, and the thing just kept going. And so people just kept singing songs, and it wasn't planned, and it's gone on for days and days, and kind of word got out, and people got really excited about it. So people were driving from Ohio and Tennessee and, and Illinois and Michigan and Indiana driving to see this, this and participate in this moment of worship and see what God's up to. And I want to 100% affirm that, yes, we can experience God in these powerful worship experiences, But I also believe that's just one way in which we can experience God. I think when we gather around a table, uh, Sunday nights the young adults meet at my house for a small group, and as we gather around the table and it's noisy and crazy and, and people are making jokes and there's so much unhealthy snacks that people bring and feel like they need to make me eat, and all this craziness in my house that like, in that God is present. Through these moments where we gather together and share a meal, I know that Sundays after church, uh, many of you will go out to eat with each other and hang out and talk, and in those gatherings, God is present and revealed. In those friendships, in those relationships, in that fellowship, God is present. And as we gather together to serve others, I, 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 it's been bring, brought up a lot lately, but before Corona, all that nonsense, like this church would do Habitat for Humanity did stuff out in the community. I hear all the stories. It was before I 
arrived here that this church did that, but I hear these stories, and, and it must have made an impact on those who participated in it, because you talk about it often. Um, or the food pantry, or these other things that, that this church has done to serve the community. Um, there's something going on there that allows you to see God and experience God in a new way. And so in the next seven days, how will you worship? How will you connect in Christian fellowship? And how will you serve? And my job, at the like if I had to write a job description right now for myself, my job would be to help you answer those three questions. That would be the whole job description, to make sure that anybody who wanted an answer to those three questions had an answer. That we could worship, that we could connect in Christian community, and that we could find places to use our gifts and to serve. And I think if you do that and you commit to those things, and you don't have to do 19 different things, if you just commit to to grow in those things, that you will realize the closer we get to Jesus, the better we know God. So take that home with you today. Maybe you already have answers. Maybe you're already in a small group. Maybe you're already coming to church every Sunday, and maybe you're already helping with the food pantry or serving in the nursery or working with the kids or uh, whatever else you're doing. Uh, Maybe you already have an answer for all three of those, and I want to say, that's awesome. I celebrate you. Invite somebody to help. Help other people answer those questions as well. Because there is a a difference for us if we're just seeking to get things from God versus if we get to know God. And I want more than anything for you to know God, to be an active participant. I don't know why I'm struggling with that word so much today. Participant in your relationship with God. I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite the worship team to come and lead us in a time of response. Um, Heavenly Father, we, we've gathered here today in worship. It's our faithful response to what you are doing in our lives. We come and we praise you, we celebrate, we We turn to you looking for answers because you are God. And so we worship. But there's so many things in the the scriptures, there's so many things that Jesus said to do that we can't do in a service like this. There's something like nearly 61 another commands that Jesus gives that can't do while we sit in a chair. that we have to do in our everyday lives, at work, at home. And so, Father, you you took your friends with you when you went to pray on the mountain. You revealed to them the glory of Jesus, your beloved son, who was on his way to the cross. We don't get to live on the mountaintops, but we, too, would like to glimpse your glory in the ordinary days of our lives, in the community shaped around your Son. 
in which you have chosen to dwell. And so, Father, we look for you among people who have no power, no rights, no voice. We look for you among those who have no homes, who aren't safe. We look for you amongst those who are struggling with their past, their hurts, their fears. Because you're not only a God who meets us on mountaintops, you're a God who meets us in the broken places. So shine the light of Christ deep into our lives so that we may carry that light into dark places and point to the one whose brokenness is our salvation. May we not just want the benefits that Jesus offers us, but may we want to truly know you more. It's in your son's name we pray.